I talk about a beheading, the Canadian murders, a triple murderer getting parole, and a policeman on charges. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. I hope you're all well. Now, this week, I don't have a full-on case as such. Rather, I'll be reporting on some news that's happened this week, and it has been a crazy week. First up, we had the horrific murder in St. Clair, Sydney on the weekend. You may or may not have heard of it, so here we go. First off, there were, re- were reports of arguing at a residence on St. Clair Avenue, St. Clair, Saturday night, the 20th of July. Now, St. Clair is about an hour or so drives uh, west of Sydney. The residence was occupied by 57-year-old Rita Camilleri and her daughter, 25-year-old Jessica Camilleri. Also at the home was a four-year-old relative. Now, it looks like there was some arguing and fighting, and that was heard by neighbours, which then the fighting seemed to escalate. Now, I don't know if police were called in at this stage, but they definitely were called in at 11.40pm when neighbours went outside to see Jessica Camilleri covered in blood standing out the front of her house or the next-door neighbour's house And her mother's severed head was on the footpath just not far from her. Now, Mamma Mia reported that Jessica knocked on a neighbour's door and told them that she'd killed her mum. When police arrived, they found the four-year-old inside the house and also the dismembered body of 57-year-old Rita Camilleri or Francis I'm not sure which name she used on a day-to-day basis. The four-year-old boy was taken to the Children's Hospital at Westmead with a head injury. Now, it's understood he witnessed the whole attack. Police seized a knife and several crime scenes had been set up inside the house and outside the home. Detectives from Nepean Police Area Command, they'll manage the investigation under Strike Force Comoroy. Jessica was arrested and taken to St. Mary's Police Station. She was subsequently charged with murder and refused bail at Parramatta Bail Court via video link. She told the court she'd been injured and needed medical attention and that she'd not been able to wash the blood off her body properly. She also said she suffers, suffers from border autism, bipolar disorder and anxiety. 
She has been taken for a mental health assessment. Now, a couple of days before all this happened, Jessica changed her profile picture on Facebook to a haunting grey filtered image, similar, you know, like those Japanese horror movie pictures, like from The Grudge, if you've ever seen that. Now, some media outlets have tried to link the watching of horror movies to this tragic event, but more likely, it's the fact that Jessica was unstable mentally. Now, I'm sure we will learn more as time goes on, but it's known that Rita supported her child, that's Jessica, through all her problems. Rita and Jessica did live together, and apparently they were babysitting the four-year-old boy who was also there at the time. Now, what he must be going through at the moment, I can't help to think he will be scarred by witnessing such a tragic event. Now, I'll keep you up to date with this as it progresses through the courts. Horrific. Now, the next item is truly distressing, especially if you travel at all. Now, this is this situation going on in Canada at the moment. Australian Lucas Fowler and his American girlfriend, China Deese, were travelling along the Alaska Highway in British Columbia when it looks like the blue van they were travelling in broke down. Now, Lucas is the son of New South Wales Chief Inspector Stephen Fowler. A road worker found their bodies about 20 kilometres south of Liard Hot Springs on the Alaska Highway near Trout River. They'd been shot around July 13 or the morning of July 14. It looks like they were working on the van at the time and witnesses saw them picnicking by the side of the road. One of these witnesses, Sandra Broughton, said they were having a picnic as they waited for their van's engine to unflood. She said the guy knew what he was doing and he was confident they'd be okay. They didn't seem in distress. They seemed like a young couple in love just on their road trip in their van going north. Alandra Hull, another road worker, said that when she passed the van, the couple was in an intense conversation with a bearded man who kind of looked frustrated or something. He was holding his palms out and was just staring at the couple. Trevor Pierre, the road worker who discovered the body, said that they were found in a ditch. China was closer to the road and about 500 metres behind her was Lucas. China only had one shoe on, whereas Lucas had none. Now, after this... There were two young men reported missing in around the same area. Cam McLeod, 19, and Briar Smigelski, 18, had been missing since the 19th, the same day that the body of a man was found two kilometres from these teenagers' burning pickup truck near Deese Lake. Now, this Deese Lake is about six and a half hours' drive from where Lucas and China's bodies were found. At first, there was fears for these teenagers' safety, but it didn't take long for them to become suspects wanted in connection with Lucas and China's murder. McLeod and Smigelski are childhood friends from Port Alberni. Now, that's a small city located on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. Smigelski's grandmother, Carol Starkey, 
told uh, news outlets that the pair left Port Alberni on July 12 to find work in Whitehorse in the Yukon. That's about 600 kilometres north of where the burning pickup truck would be discovered a week later. Alan Smigelski, Briar's father, added the duo had been working night shifts at Walmart in Port Alberni to save money for the trip. He said they're best friends who did everything together. They were just out on an adventure. Miss Starkey, who'd last had contact with her grandson on July 13 or 14, said Whitehorse was not what the best friends had had expected and they decided to leave. She said she did not know where the pair had planned to go after departing the Yukon. Anyway, after leaving the area, the duo headed back into British Columbia. Their exact movements are not publicly known, but police believe the pair have crossed paths with Lucas and China near Liard Hot Springs, some 650 kilometres southwest of Whitehorse, on July 14 or 15. Employees at the Cassia Mountain Jade Story in Jade City, about 350 kilometres west of Liard Hot Springs, reported seeing McLeod and Smigelski on Thursday, July 18, and the next day, their burning pickup truck was found about 115 kilometres south in Dease Lake at a highway stopping point, while the body of the then unidentified man was discovered nearby. Now on Wednesday, Royal Canadian Mounted Police officially named McLeod and Smigelski as suspects after they were spotted in northern Saskatchewan. Jesus more than 2,000 kilometres east of Dease Lake. Now, Sergeant Janelle Scheuert said the pair were no longer, no longer considered missing in light of the recent developments and they were now suspects in the murders of Lucas Fowler, China Dease and the other man. Now, I'll get to his name in a minute. She said there'd been since another confirmed sighting of the pair in the small town of Gillam. Now, that's about a 1,000 kilometres northeast of Saskatchewan. I'm, I'm going to get so many emails about this. In the neighbouring state of Manitoba. We do believe they are dangerous. With respect to armed, we cannot say what weapons they may or may not be in possession of. She said the pair were seen driving a grey 2011 Toyota RAV4, but warned they could have since changed their appearance and their vehicle. Well, on Thursday, the body found at Dees was identified as Vancouver man Leonard Dyke. Mr. Dyke's family said, We're truly heartbroken by the sudden and tragic loss of Len. He was a loving husband and father. His death has created unthinkable grief and we're struggling to understand what's happened. Now, police have charged Bryce Miguelski, 18, and Cam McLeod, 19, with three murders despite not being able to locate them. Now, the manhunt continued and they were last seen in Gillam, Manitoba, which is about three kilometres from where the murders began at Liard Hot Springs. It's known they purchased petrol from a town called Split Lake, which is two hours by car from Gillam. There they spoke with an attendant who described them as calm. She said McLeod paid for $20 worth of petrol 
but Smigelski asked a strange and very casual question, whether he could consume alcohol in the dry community. The guy who paid for the gas, he was quiet. He didn't say anything. He was just looking down. They seemed like, I don't know, normal. I'm just so nervous right now thinking about it. Now, that was uh, Michelle Keeper, who was the attendant at the gas station. Police would find their grey RAV4 burnt out by the side of the road and they confirmed it was the car they were driving. Now, as it came to light during the week, the pair's social media activity was being looked into and it looks like Bryce Mogelski was into Nazi memorabilia as photos of him wearing a Nazi armband and other photos of a knife that had been issued to Hitler Youth with blood and ur or blood and honour inscribed into it. So, as of writing this, police are undergoing a massive manhunt at Gillam and the Fox Lake Cree Nation Indian Reserve. Now, what I find amazing is when you do a Google map search on the locations of the first set of killings near Leod Hot Springs, then to the second location at Dees Lake, and finally to where there are the sightings at Gillam, these assholes have travelled nearly 4,000 kilometres, about give or take a bit, if you drove it. Now, that's around 45 hours of driving. And hardly anyone noticed them? Well, what the fuck? Gillam is pretty remote as well. I mean, they have fucking polar bears there, for fuck's sake. Now, some think they may already be dead, but unless they've been eaten by wildlife, I don't think they'll be the type to commit suicide. I reckon they want a showdown with police. Now, let's hope there's no more innocent victims and that these two fuck knuckles get, a, the, get on the boom fucking longer karma bus and they get what's coming to them. So, of course, I'll be keeping up to date with this case and who knows, by the time you're listening, maybe it's all over. Now, also in the news this week is the parole of triple killer Matthew DeGrouchy. Now, I will do a full episode on this scum for next week, but I'll just go over the case very briefly tonight. DeGrouchy was convicted in 1998 of the murders of his mother Jennifer, 42, brother Adrian, 15, and his sister Sarah, 13. Now, it was either on the night of the 12th of March 1996 or early in the morning of the 13th at the family home located at Albion Park, which is about an hour south of Sydney near Wollongong. At the time, his father, Wayne, had been staying with his parents at Moorbank, and that's west of Sydney. So, And he did this often, so he had an alibi. The bodies were found in the morning of the 13th of March by 18-year-old Matthew. They'd suffered horrific head injuries that were probably inflicted by a tire iron. Now, Matthew told police he'd been staying with his girlfriend the night before and that his mother had received threatening phone calls before he'd left. He went on to say that he got home, grabbed some money, he bought some cigarettes at the shop, And then when he returned home, he found the bodies. Now, the police ruled out the father, as I said, as being involved 
and it looked likely that Matthew was the culprit. He was only 18 at the time. Now, it was a very strong circumstantial case against him when he was charged, and then the case went to trial, and like I said, I'll go into more detail next week. But he was found guilty in 1998 of three counts of murder. He was sentenced on each count to concurrent minimum terms of 21 years and additional terms of seven years. Now, after 23 years, the New South Wales Parole Authority formally decided to grant him parole in a hearing in Parramatta Court this week. For fuck's sake, now 41 de Grouchy was granted conditional release and was told he's not allowed to contact the family of his victims except for his father and that he cannot enter the Illawarra and Shoalhaven local government areas. I'm sure he's really going to care about those conditions. Now he will be released from prison in August. Now, as you can imagine, what I am thinking, and I'm sure you are thinking the same, how the fuck do you murder three members of your family and at 41 years of age get to roam the streets again? Now, Catherine Knight only killed one person, and she's never to be released. But this dick can murder three people, family members, and be out at 41 years of age. For fuck's sake, what are the parole board thinking? Now, he was convicted, fair enough, on circumstantial evidence, and he's always maintained he didn't do it. But there is no one else suspected of the crime, and the evidence against him was incredibly strong. I think if you're convicted of something like this, you need your file stamped never to be released. Now, I'll bring you the full story to you next week and you can make up your own mind if he's guilty or not and if guilty, whether or not he should be released. As we've seen in the past with characters like Peter DePass, who got out time and time again, he ended up murdering people. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Grouchy's already murdered three people. (sighs) Okay, now, this week is only a news episode and if you've followed the Matthew Levison case that I featured way back in episode 4 and the updates once his remains were found then you may know that the police officer that was instrumental in getting some closure for Faye and Mark Levison and that's Matthew's parents their friends and their family well he's in a bit of strife Now, I'll read this from Sydney Morning Herald. High-profile detective Gary Jubilant charged over illegal recordings, or alleged illegal recordings. High-profile New South Wales homicide detective Gary Jubilant will be represented by equally well-known defence barrister Margaret Kinnean as he defends four charges late on Friday over alleged illegal recordings made during the investigation into the disappearance of missing boy William Tyrrell. Now, I may have to bring you that case as well. If you do know about it, it's about the little boy who's disappeared up the coast. Now, New South Wales Police on Friday said Detective Chief Inspector Jubilant had been charged with four offences 
under the Surveillance Devices Act. Following a number of complaints, the Professional Standards Command commenced an investigation in 2018 overseen by the Law Enforcement Conduct Commission into the conduct of the officer during the course of his operational duties. These inquiries disclosed a number of recordings allegedly made at locations in Parramatta and Kendall in New South Wales. The Herald understands Detective Detective Chief Inspector Jubilin is accused of recording a conversation without a warrant and directing another junior staff member to do the same. More than 10 detectives from the Homicide Squad made complaints about Chief Inspector Jubilin leading to the internal investigation and the charges. The veteran investigator was issued with a court attendance notice on that was back in uh, back then and will appear in the Downing Centre local court on July 30 with Crown Prosecutor turned Sydney Silk Miss Canine SC acting as his legal representative. The officer's immediate employment status is under review. However, he has previously submitted his resignation to the Commissioner of Police. So, there is a petition to drop the charges. That's on change.org. I do have a link on my Facebook, but you can also just Google it. Multiple families of victims he had investigated, they told the Herald that they were horrified by the charges. Leonie Daru, the sister-in-law of murdered Barrowville teen Clinton Speedy Daru, said, I'm disgusted. I'm horrified. He's maintaining he's done nothing wrong and we're 100% behind him. He's an outstanding police officer. His standards are very high. Now, uh, Mark Levison, who's, as I said, murdered sons, remains, were found during a 27 investigation led by Detective Chief Inspector Jubilin. He said, it's a witch hunt. The timing's just horrific, with the William Tyrrellick inquest resuming again in August. Now, a recording of a conversation between Mark Levison and Detective Chief Inspector Jubilin was part of the internal police investigation into the veterans' officer's conduct. Now, Mark said, We regard Gary as a friend, and I was offering him some accounting advice. I'm an accountant. I told him it was pretty in-depth and he should record it or take notes. That's why he was recording on his phone. Now, Chief Inspector Jubilant, he's been with the force since 1985, and he's been involved in a number of high-profile investigations including the Barraville murders, the brutal killing of Michelle Lang, and the death of mentally uh, mentally ill Sydney woman, Courtney Toppy. So, is this a witch hunt or not? We'll see how it turns out, and I'll keep everyone updated, and I'll be there at the Downing Centre Court with Mark and Faye Leveson on Tuesday morning. Oh, I'll just be there supporting So that's about it for this week. It was a little bit of a short one, but it was just the news. Like I said, I'll be bringing you that case next week, and that is truly horrific. It's interesting, and it's involved. So we'll go over that one next week. So now to the Patreon shout-outs. A big boom-fuck-a-lunga to Belinda Morris on the top tier. Thanks so much, Belinda. And to LJ for upping their pledge. I'm not sure if I mentioned you last week. I think I may have, but thank you, L. 
Thank you so much for all your support and thanks so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference, as you know. True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I keep it ad-free, as you know. I don't like them. I don't want to deal with advertising companies. If you want to support the island financially for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Check out the levels and the rewards. All last month's rewards are on their way and some may have uh, found their way to their owners as well. If you don't get anything, uh, I've sent you the tracking, so please let me know. Now, you can also do one-off donations at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland as Alia did this week. Thank you so much, Alia. Boom vakalanga. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch, such as T-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, tote bags. Everyone knows I've got a mug of rage. A few people also out there have them. All available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Remember, don't order the black mugs. I think lots of people know that by now. I do have keychains, lapel pins and stickers. Now, if you want those, contact me directly for those. That can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com. It's also the best way to get me if you've got anything such as cases, case requests, whatever. Or you just want to say, boom, fuck a Now, if you're worried about where all these links are, they are on my website, truecrimeisland.com. Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate, review, tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. And if they don't know how to tune in, you should show them because there's plenty, plenty of podcasts out there, not just true crime island search for true crime island on facebook twitter and instagram and join the closed group if you want on facebook big shout out to curtis again boom fuckalunga mate so that's about it for the show tonight lots of love to maggie james and i'll your host cambo you've been listening to true crime island as i always say don't forget to delete your browser history night boom fuckalunga